This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm a board-certified emergency critical care specialist and toxicologist. Thanks for joining us. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Rachel Venable, a veterinary medical oncologist. So you want to tune in because we know cancer is a concern for all dog and cat owners out there. We'll be right back after these messages. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. To ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Really excited to be speaking with Dr. Rachel Venable today, who's a veterinary medical oncologist. And we're going to be talking about all things cancer. So, whether or not you have a dog or cat, you definitely want to tune in. Dr. Rachel Venable, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So, just so our audience knows who you are, do you mind giving us a little bit of background about who you are, where you train, and what you do now? I'd love to. Thank you. So I am, like you said, a boarded medical oncologist. I'm actually from the Midwest. So I grew up on a farm and uh, went to vet school in Missouri. And there, that's where I found out more about oncology and specializing and, and just really fell in love with oncology. So I did my internship at the University of Georgia and then my residency at Colorado State. And so kind of been all over. And then I've been doing private practice for the last several years. And then most recently, I just started a teleconsulting service. It's called Pet Cancer Care Consulting. And with this, my whole goal, I'm really trying to increase access to oncology care because there's just not enough oncologists out there. I know you guys have to clone more oncologists. It's so important, especially since it's one of the top three causes of demise, at least for what I see in the veterinary ER. Now, do you mind just stepping back? What is an oncologist and how is that different from a family vet? If you don't mind just explaining a little bit of that on when you would make an appointment with one and what the options are when we make an appointment with an oncologist is. Yeah, that's actually a great question because I think a lot of people are confused. I know before I went to vet school, I, I had no idea about you know specialists in the veterinary field. So what an oncologist is, is it's someone who's done advanced training specifically in the study of cancer. You know, So like my residency, it was all about you know, seeing animals that had cancer and how best to treat them, you know, as far as is it usually with oncology, it's either surgery, radiation, or chemotherapy, or some kind of mix of all three of those. 
So we really specialize in that. It's something too with oncology, it changes all the time. You know, it's actually been a really exciting last couple of years, all the different tests and therapies that have been coming out. Uh, so that's something we really focus on versus your family vet. That's a great person that knows a lot of general information. They're usually the one that's going to diagnose your pet and tell you that they have cancer. And some family vets have interest in oncology, but they're not going to have that extra level of education and things that the oncologist has. And a lot of times, too, they may not have the facilities. So a lot of times you need special equipment to give some of like the chemotherapy and certainly radiation. You need a very special machine. So a lot of times in general practice, they just won't have those services. Thank you. Now, great information. I will also say a lot of people don't always understand when they make an appointment to an oncologist. They think, oh, I'm going to commit to several thousand dollars worth of chemotherapy. And I always say, if your dog or your cat was just diagnosed with cancer, it's so important to schedule that initial oncology appointment. I did the same with my own dog when he was diagnosed with a brain tumor, because I always find it's so important for you to talk to the oncologist. They are the smartest people out there when it comes to prognosis and longevity and chemotherapy and options. So just because you make an appointment with an oncologist doesn't necessarily commit you to thousands of dollars. It's getting you in that door to talk to the oncologist, with it, which I think is so important. Now, people often do so poorly with chemotherapy, and I think people often think of a family member who was undergoing chemo. Do you mind just talking a little bit why anyone would give it to their dog or cat? What's the differences between chemotherapy and dogs and cats versus humans? Yes, there's a there's a huge difference. And, you know, also going back to a, a point you made a minute ago, you know, just seeing the oncologist, that doesn't mean you're committing to doing all the chemotherapy or doing all these treatments. And, and I think you're very correct. And it's so important just to get that information. I find so many people just calm down once they know what they're expecting, you know, what's more with the disease, what they can do or not do. And I think sometimes with vets, too, I think sometimes they can get a little bit one-sided and they think, oh, if this client isn't going to pursue a lot of chemo or treatment, then I'm not even going to refer or they forget to refer. You know, sometimes I think with vets, when they diagnose cancer, they kind of think, okay, now we have the diagnosis. And then they kind of forget that next step for people. And, and you never know, you know, sometimes people put in their own biases and they jump to, well, I wouldn't want to see the oncologist. So they don't even think to offer it to the clients, but you know, everybody's different. So I, I do think getting that information, whether or not people pursue chemotherapy or a big surgery or things, is it's still really valuable. And then going to your question about chemo, it is really different. You know, in people, it's terrible, right? I mean, I, I've had friends and family members go through it, and it, it's rough, you know. But our animals, it's a very different experience. Actually, what we found is, you know, anywhere between 80, 85% actually don't have any side effects. So hugely different. I think there's a few different reasons for that. You know, one of them, we don't push animals quite as hard as they do in human oncology. Veterinary oncology, our primary objective is actually quality of life, you know, versus survival, which is more what it is in people. And, and then again, there's a few reasons for that. Some of it are animals, you know, they just don't live as long. We're not looking at decades like we are with people. And, and also our animals, a lot of our cancers, they're not things that we can necessarily cure. You know, they're things where with treatment, we can give more time. And that's why I think a lot of oncologists, we feel like it's so important that that time is good quality time. 
you know, versus in people, it's more of suffering through the chemo so that hopefully you have more time after versus in our animals, it's more, okay, how can we find that balance so you can actually feel pretty good while you're getting the therapy and live longer? You know, you bring up such a good point. I think people, again, make that association with a human who went through it. And again, it's so great to hear that 90% of pets never experience the side effects. But again, it is different in that human oncologists are aiming for more cure versus in veterinary medicine, we're really aiming to preserve quality of life. Now, I will say when my dog was diagnosed with a brain tumor, I didn't know all the options out there. Obviously, as a veterinary specialist, I knew about oncology. I knew about surgery. I knew about chemotherapy. I knew about traditional radiation therapy, but I didn't know all my options when it came to different types like stereotactic radiation therapy and all different options out there. So just for our pet owners, do you mind talking about what treatments are out there for animals when it comes to the diagnosis of cancer? Yeah. And yeah. And I'm so sorry to hear that your own dog had a a brain tumor and that you had to see an oncologist. But yeah, as far as other treatments and things that are out there. So the three big ones everybody always talks about is surgery, uh, radiation, and chemotherapy. And with surgery, we're getting all kinds of advances and finding different techniques and things. And also, to me, it's always amazing how well animals do after surgery. You know, they're usually up and walking around, you know, even removing a limb, doing a big surgery like an amputation. A lot of dogs are up and moving around within 24 hours, which to me is amazing. I wouldn't expect myself to be doing that (laughs) after that kind of a surgery. But these guys are, are so resilient and they live so much in the moment that they just, you know, can do great with what we would consider pretty big surgeries. And then, you know, radiation. So like you mentioned, especially with brain tumors, you probably heard a lot about stereotactic radiosurgery. This is pretty exciting. And we're getting a lot more of this in veterinary medicine. And, and even in human medicine, that's a fairly new technology. It's very precise radiation that we're able to give um, quite high doses. And so what's nice about it is you need a lot less treatment. So Traditionally, radiation, you're usually looking at, you know, a daily treatment for a month or more. But with the stereotactic, you actually, a lot of times, it's just three treatments, so significantly less. And we're actually seeing side effects are usually fairly less, too. And again, it's because it's so precise. So it's quite exciting. I know, actually, I'm, I'm here in Arizona, and there's a lot of medical services out here. There's, you know, Mayo and all kinds of clinics. And actually, the radiation group has done some studies with the Mayo out here because we have that nice machine where we can do that stereotactic radiation. So I think that's pretty exciting. Chemotherapy. So that's the other big one. Certainly, that's a lot of what I do being a medical oncologist. And we've got some new drugs. We had our first actually FDA approved veterinary drug, Synovia. It's approved to treat dogs with lymphoma. And the reason I bring it up is because most of the drugs we use are actually all in humans. They've all been designed for people, approved in people, and we use it actually off-label. And so we're starting now to get our own veterinary drug. So Tenovia, that was exciting to get. We got that a couple of years ago. Um, And then now the newer thing that's starting to come out are these targeted therapies or what's called small molecule inhibitors. And a lot of times these are pills. And so that's also an interesting thing because a lot of people, you know, they're more willing to give their dog pills. They usually don't have to have as many rechecks versus if you do an IV treatment. And so that's something, a new one just came out called Lavertia. That's another treatment for lymphoma, uh, but that's actually a, a targeted therapy that just came out. And then we also have immunotherapy. And I think that's another really exciting area that people are looking into. 
Um, it's also pretty new. You, you, we've had something called the melanoma vaccine. We've had that actually for quite a while, but then some other new things are coming out where they're trying to see, okay, maybe if we can somehow stimulate the immune system even more, we can get a better response. So there, there's definitely some interesting things coming out on the frontier with that. Oh, thank you so much. I can't tell you how much I'm often pinged by people on social media asking for help about a diagnosis of cancer or treatment of cancer. So it's so nice to know that there's so many options out there, which brings me up to teleconsulting. Can you tell me, first of all, what is teleconsulting? And if my dog or cat was just diagnosed with cancer, how can your vet use teleconsulting or even how can a pet owner use teleconsulting? Yeah, teleconsulting. And I think it's something that the pandemic has really brought to light. You know, people weren't able to go into the vet or even their own doctor, you know, in human medicine, it's actually taken off some more as well. And, and what teleconsulting is, is it's a virtual consult. So it's using things like Zoom or other video type platforms. And with what I started doing, so my new service is I'm trying to increase access to oncology because, you know, like we said, there's just not enough oncologists, unfortunately, for how many pets get cancer. And so how this works is actually the vet can form an account with me and then like the appointment. So the pet owner would come back to the vet clinic, um, like a recheck, and then I would come across uh, on a computer screen. And so it would be a, a video chat. So it's a three-way conversation between the oncologist, the vet, and the pet owner, which I also think is nice because then you, you get that continuity of care because all three parties are able to talk. And so make sure everybody's on the same page as far as what's been going on and the exam. And then that consult, what I do is go over pretty detailed about, you know, the disease, testing, treatment, prognosis, and then see kind of you know, what next steps from there? So is it, you know, more palliative care? Are there chemo options? Like, do we need to get into like a brick and mortar oncologist? Or can the vet do some of those treatments? Or certainly the, the pill treatments, a lot of them are comfortable with because you don't have to have special equipment for that. So that's really what the, the consulting, I'd say, looks like. Is It's that instead of seeing somebody in person, you have the convenience of seeing them wherever you are over a video feed. And so for a client, I think it's nice you know, if there's no oncologist near you, you know, there's several states that actually don't have a veterinary oncologist. So people could have to drive pretty far. Also, sometimes people just they like their vet, you know, they like their family vet, and they're not quite sure if they want to see an oncologist, but they just have a lot of questions. And so this is a nice way for them to really you know, get all that information without really having to travel. So I think it helps the client by giving them more of that information and just partnering with that family vet. And then the vet, I think it helps because they're able to give that next level of service and things to their clients and, you know, getting more of that information. And also it can help even bringing in some revenue to the vet clinics because they may be doing additional testing or treatments and things that they wouldn't have necessarily done before. Always so nice to know that we have options with telemedicine, especially if people live in areas where there aren't oncologists. Now let's take a short break and we'll be right back with this really important topic right after these messages from our sponsors. Molly, here's your dinner. <coughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. 
It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your cat tree tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Really excited to be speaking with Dr. Rachel Venable. And what we're talking about is cancer. So again, if your dog or cat was just diagnosed, so important that you make that appointment with an oncologist to at least consult to find out if chemotherapy, if surgery, if radiation therapy are options for you. Please know there are more and more options out there from oral medications to injections. And it's really important to be able to talk this over with your family vet and an oncologist. Now, I did want to ask you, I get asked all the time, how do I know if my dog or my cat has cancer? Do you mind just talking about some of the signs of cancer that warrant a veterinary visit to your family veterinarian? And then if you could just briefly touch on the top five cancers in both dogs and maybe cats. Yeah, you know, cancer, sometimes it can be tricky to diagnose, especially at home. You know, it's like, when do you get nervous or not? So big things I'd watch for. So any lump or bump, any kind of mass that stays there, especially if you've noticed that it hasn't changed over a couple weeks or so, definitely anything that's rapidly growing or firm to the touch, um, I would certainly have that checked out by your vet. Any, you know, real decline in appetite or energy, you know, that's not specific for cancer, but a lot of times we can see things like that. Any swelling, like a lot of times people notice swelling on the neck and it's actually their lymph nodes. So again, any kind of abnormal swelling, weight loss, especially if you feel like your dog is eating normally, but you're noticing they're getting thinner. That's something that I would certainly recommend getting checked out. And certainly, you know, vomiting or diarrhea, and it doesn't seem to be, you know, appetite related, like it's not something that they ingested, and it's not going away, that would be another big one to get checked out by your vet as well. What about top five types of cancers, just so our pet owners can be as well educated when it comes on what signs and what diseases to look for? So as far as the the top five cancers, so lymphoma is certainly pretty common. And that's where the lymph nodes or the glands are swollen. So if you're petting your dog, I mean, you feel like swelling in the neck um, or behind the knees. I think those are kind of the ones that owners find first. That's unfortunately a pretty common one that actually can respond really well to chemo. The other big one is mast cell tumors, which those are usually lumps or bumps, which can be anywhere on the body and can honestly look like almost anything. Sometimes they almost look like a bug bite, like people report that they just popped up, it was red, itchy, but just didn't go away. Or sometimes it's a lump under the skin. And so those are, again, those masses that don't go away that you'd want to want to get checked out because mast cell tumors also have a wide range as far as how they behave. Another big one we'll see is soft tissue sarcoma. So again, those are masses, usually I'd say on the leg, sometimes on the trunk that we could see on animals. And again, they're usually firm masses that just don't go away. So those are big ones to watch out for and and have your vet. Because a lot of these, just what's called a fine needle aspirate, so very non-invasive test, 
your veterinarian could do and actually diagnose what it is. So those are all very easy to know kind of quickly. All right. Is this just a more benign, like a fatty tumor? A lot of dogs, especially as they age, get these soft, usually soft lumps that are fatty. And so again, you could easily diagnose, okay, is this a fatty mass or is this something more concerning? Other cancers we can see, sometimes actually there's one called an anal sac tumor. So if you notice your dog really scooting a lot or really licking at its rear end. Um, the other thing is groomers, a lot of times will find those because part of the grooming, they'll express their anal glands and they feel something firm back there. So definitely want to get want to get that checked out if your groomer feels a mass. Mammary tumors, so in dogs and cats, so if you ever feel anything along the mammary chain, uh, firm, swollen, you will definitely want to get that sampled as well. And we can't really tell usually from just those needle aspirates how aggressive those are. And so surgery and things that would give us a, a lot more detail on that one. And and cats, they also get lymphoma, but it's usually different. You don't normally feel the gland swollen. Um, actually, what we typically see in cats is stomach upset. So usually chronic vomiting or weight loss that we just can't otherwise explain. And then as you do more testing, like abdominal ultrasound and things, then that's how we find that disease. So at home, basically you see less appetite and vomiting. Thank you so much. Great information. One last question for you. We often hear the term One Health. And I was just wondering if you could explain what does that exactly mean in veterinary or human medicine? Yeah, One Health, I, I think, is great. It's a really exciting thing where essentially we're able to learn more about human cancer from our companion animals. And it's because, especially our dogs, you know, they live with us, they're exposed to a lot of the same things, and they get a lot of the same cancers. Um, but their lifespan, you know, as we know, is unfortunately a lot shorter than ours. And so they actually make a very good model for human cancer because a lot of what they use in studying human cancer, you know, mice models and things where it's artificially growing a tumor. And so it's really hard in drug development, you know, just because something works in an artificial environment like a mouse, you know, and then going straight to a person. And so a lot of these drugs are failing. But what they're finding is if they actually use it in dogs that naturally get like lymphoma, um, it's a much better model to see how these drugs will work. And where it's also exciting for dogs is if that drug works in dogs, then we have another new drug that we can use because, you know, so it, it helps both with our animals and with the people. So I, I think it's a great way how we're trying to find things. You know, the dog genome, we actually found that a few years ago, and we've actually been able to kind of tailor some things where we found like with golden retrievers, the genetic variation of how they're so prone for lymphoma. And then they were actually able to find that in the human genome. So it's just really exciting how we're able to use animals to help us learn more about people that, you know, actually help both species a lot. Dr. Venable, thank you so much. Fantastic information. You know, it's so hard because having the diagnosis that our pet has cancer, especially in the ER vet, is so heartbreaking. I can empathize with all you pet owners out there who've ever had a battle with this and so thankful for oncologists out there who can really take it to the next level when it comes to care and treatment for our dogs and cats. Thank you so much again for joining us on today's show. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. You can find Dr. Rachel Venable at PetCancerCareConsulting.com. And you can find me at DrJustineLee.com on Facebook or Instagram at DrJustineLee. Or email me your pet questions at DrJustine at PetLifeRadio.com. With that, we're out of time. And again, just want to thank Dr. Rachel Venable and Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. See you at the next episode.
Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.